All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Good evening, and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast on May 2nd, 2006. 10,000 Days was released by the band Tool. It had been six years since they released Lateralis. Now, this is significant because 10,000 Days was the last album they put out, and then 13 years later, who's who's keeping time, they released Fear Inoculum. As a Tool fan, I'd patiently been waiting. Others were very rabid about it. 10,000 days is roughly the orbitable period of the planet Saturn. Well, technically speaking, it's 10,759 days, which equates to nearly 29.5 years. And it's this philosophical notion of the Saturn return that Maynard James Keenan once revealed as the meaning behind the title. That's the time in your 28th and 29th year when you are presented the opportunity to transform from whatever you your hang-ups were before to let the light of knowledge and experience lighten your load. So to speak, let's go of the old patterns and embrace a new life, he reasoned. 10,000 Days could also be a reference to Maynard's mother, who... And she had a stroke in the 70s and died in 2003 and was basically not well for 27 years, 10,000 days. Uh, Meshuggah were an influence. We've all been listening to a lot of Meshuggah, guitarist Adam Jones told Kerrang! in the months building up to 10,000 Days release. The band had previously toured together around their respective Lateralis and Nothing album cycles. I see a lot of them in us and us and them, he continued, noting they really have a very expensive prog side to them. I don't think it was like, okay, right here, we're going to play like Meshuggah, but more, oh my god, that's come out of a Meshuggah moment. These influences are most notable saw on the track Jambi, which utilizes single riff, stri- string riffs, and polyrhythmic and divisively bend and weave through the different time signatures. Meshuggah guitarist Martin Hal- Halgostrom is one of the lucky few to have heard some of the quartet's new music, describing it as the best I've heard of Tool. The artwork incorporated by Alex Gray's painting Net of Bean. Mmm. Yeah, in fact, the box, you know, the album packaging of 10,000 Days won them a Grammy. Isn't that interesting? Today is, uh, I believe it was self-produced with Crazy Joe Barisi. 10,000 Days is the fourth studio album by the American band Tool. The album was released by Tool, Dissectional, and Volcano Entertainment on April 28th, parts of Europe, and on May 2nd in North America. It marked the first time since recording 1993's Undertow that the band had worked at the Grandmaster without producer David Bertrell. Yes, that's true. With 11 tracks, Vicarious, Jombie, Wings for Marie Part 1, 10,000 Days, Wings Part 2, The Pot. Lippin Conjuring, Lost Keys, Blame Hoffman, Rosetta Stone, Intention, 
right into Vinetti Tres, Maynard James Keenan, Adam Jones, Justin Chancellor, Danny Carey. And so I thought I would just notate today's 15th anniversary of 10,000 Days, released by Tool. Tool went on to release Fear Inoculum in 2019, 13, day, 13 years after 10,000 Days. I was very lucky and privileged to have seen Tool for the first time in concert on their 10,000 Days tour in Oakland, California. And it was a phenomenal moment, truly phenomenal. When you get the opportunity to see Tool for the first time, and it's the visuals, it's the sounds. And I remember there was a big, it was at the, I believe, a big stadium in Oakland, the Oracle, I think. And there you had this big video screen that usually projected games. And here they were projecting videos alongside uh Rosetta Stone, which is such a long song. I can't play any of the music of 10,000 Days. The whole album itself is wonderful. I don't really do the standout tracks. They're all good. They're all good. And even though this is a film podcast, I do talk about music on the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. This is our musical part. And so... Stay tuned, we're going to talk about film because I've got a juicy uh, trick up my sleeve in the coming weeks. Stay tuned, Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, coming back. Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. As I said, after we talked about Tool, there is a goodie that I have that I have yet to open. It is Dietrich and von Sternberg in Hollywood. Morocco, Dishonored, Shanghai Express, Blonde Venus, The Scarlet Empress, The Devil is a Woman. This is a special Blu-ray Criterion Collection. A continuing series of important classics and contemporary films. Tasked by studio executives with finding the next great screen siren, visionary Hollywood director Joseph von Sternberg joined forces with rising German actor Marlena Dietrich, kicking off what would become one of the most legendary partnerships in cinema history. Over the course of six films produced by Paramount in the 1930s, pair I find their Shared fantasy of pleasure, beauty, and excess. Dietrich's coolly transgressive mystique was a perfect match for the provocative roles von Sternberg cast her in, including a sultry chanteuse, a cunning spy, and the hedonistic Catherine the Great. While the filmmaker captured her allure with jarrasutu, a lighting and opulent design, conjuring fever dream of visions of exotic settings from Morocco to Shanghai. Sufficed with frank sexuality and worldly irony, these deliriously entertaining masterpieces are landmarks of cinematic artifice. Presented in new 2K or 4K digital restorations of all six films. Interesting. New interviews with film scholars Janet Bergstrom and Holm King, director Joseph von Sternberg's son, Nicholas. Uh, Yeah. 
This is interesting. And I have this in my hand. It is the Blu-ray, which I am going to watch in the coming weeks. About Joseph von Sternberg and Marlena Dietrich. I have seen Morocco. In fact, Morocco is interesting because that's the only time that Marlena Dietrich ever received an Academy Award nomination. You know, last weekend was the, the Oscars. But she went on to do many other films. Now, von Sternberg went on to dive even deeper into film. He did silent films. He did so much. But it was with his partnership through Marlena Dietrich that he became the icon. Absolute control produced a visual style which was unique and utterly personal. Take this off. No, you can't do that. It's an hour. Take that off, will you? Just this one. Throw that down on. Perhaps no other director has ever quite matched the complexity and subtlety of pictorial effect which Sternberg achieved in his best work. His admirers asked him during his visit to London to show them just how he went about the setting up and lighting of a shot. only director that Hollywood cameramen admit photographed his own films. Well, I don't know what Hollywood cameramen admit. I, I do photograph all my films. You control the lighting? Yes, lighting is part of the photography. It's, it's very important to control the lighting. When um, an extract from one of your films appears on television or in a compilation film, it is instantly recognizable by its texture, a texture which no one else ever achieves. Um, how did you begin to be aware of lighting? Well, uh, I've had a, a, a vast history in, in, in films as, as uh, from every viewpoint to uh, before I became a director. And I think it's quite essential that, uh, that uh, directors should have that... Uh, that uh, that experience. Sternberg began as a repairer of damaged films before the First World War, later graduating to props man, assistant director, and finally director. He was born in a poor quarter of Vienna, and his first experience of the United States was the harsh existence of an immigrant. Low Life America makes its appearance in his early films. His first picture, The Salvation Hunters, made at a cost of just over a thousand pounds, brought him to the notice of Douglas Fairbanks and Chaplin. He was, to quote the papers, a young Austrian with a streak of genius. The success of his first film was followed by a period of disputes with his studios. But in 1927, he made the first real gangster picture, Underworld. And the next year, another success, The Docks of New York, on the set, Sternberg quickly acquired the reputation of a martinet. 
You want to know what I want it for? Yeah, which map? Huh? Which map? Which side map? But get a cause down here. You don't want to know what I want it for. And difficult if that phrase is correct in uh, demanding an, an absolute silence while I work. And this is not strange because if you write or if you paint or if you sculpt, you, you have a closed door, you have some place where someone may knock to ask permission to enter. But in the case of a director who has a much more difficult job to do, he, he's got a thousand people around him who always come in and out and make nuisance of themselves and uh, he has a thousand problems to take care of and must work, work, work from early in the morning to late at night, day after day, to provide an hour and a half of entertainment. And of course, knowing that, I insist on this uh, thing and I, I'm very humorous about it. This is not taken seriously, but because I tell people in back of me to take their wristwatches off, lest, lest I hear them. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I just established a certain atmosphere. Handy. They should be here so we can use them. We had a very funny incident with the old joke, but he had a sense of humor, you know, somewhere if you can dig it out, you'd be a natural human being. He was on a big rostrum, a very high rostrum, I think 15, 16 feet high, and a ladder down, you see. We come to the end of the day, and Joe walks the edge of the rostrum, tops on the, steps on the top step, and slides right down onto his bottom, you see. And just sat there, said, 9 o'clock tomorrow morning, and walked off the set. <laughs> that was the actor Clive Brook, who worked on several films with a director whose view of actors has always been an extremely rigorous one. Actors, uh, they are actually very desirable for a director, though. Uh, you select an actor for his particular appearance, and... Uh, he then comes on the stage and he, he usually wishes to have the director instruct him completely. The more the better. And uh, it is only that uh, they're used, of course, by, as marionettes are used. They're used as bits of color in canvas and uh, very many of them uh, appreciate that and very many of them uh, feel that their ego has been tampered with and they uh, somehow uh, much later after they uh, are successful manage to uh, to uh, let it be known that they were completely uh, manhandled and, and uh, abused an actor is nothing unless he has something to play when you look at an actor he must correspond to a vision that you have of the sort of man or the sort of woman that you want in your film. And you uh, proceed to do something with that object. You have to arrange his hair, you have to design the costume, you have to provide a background for him, you have to make him do something which is to your liking, and uh, you have to eliminate things that are bad in the actor, you have to bring out things that are good. It's a complete... Uh, process of always uh, being in charge of the human being and never allowing that human being to be himself. Sternberg has written graphically of his struggles with the German actor Emil Jannings during the making of The Blue Angel. The film was finally a huge success. The partnership of Sternberg and Dietrich was continued through another six films. A new kind of erotic symbol was produced. Cool, mocking, assured, and yet vulnerable too. 
This persona was created with infinite labor and precision. In fact, the first shot in uh, Shanghai Express, dialogue read, how long is it since I've seen you, Doc? Now, she took that in 60 times, and it went on and on and on. I think he took the second take in, in the end. I don't say there's separate takes, but they went on with one camera going on and repeating uh, this line again. And yes, my lady, go on again, and that again. Just uh, chin up a little bit, mind down a little bit. You've got to blink or something, you know, that sort of thing. He did really uh, treat Marlena as a marionette, but I mean, she did really direct her in great detail. She's an extraordinary woman, and uh, she was a great beauty, and uh, and it was uh, she was a fine assistant and very easy to respond. She responded beautifully and, uh, and uh, gave me an, an image very often, uh, which was not only exactly as I wanted, but very often better than I wanted. And uh, she was she was quite a gal. And so that is from a documentary in 1967 about Joseph von Sternberg talking about working with Marlena Dietrich. Every moral universe If we can find it, you know, I talk about the. My goal would be to. I don't know if I can do this. I could try to finish the films by the because you know Marlena Dietrich died 29 years ago next week on May 6 1992 this is uh, Marlena Dietrich's daughter Maria talking about von Sternberg and Dietrich so it was not a shocking gesture at all as far as the German Dietrich was concerned and of course she was always very very critical about the Americans being so these terrible terrible Puritans you know so this she did to shock and waited for Joe to buckle under the studio heads who said it had to go which of course they did and he didn't buckle their partnership continued with a spy story, Dishonored, and then their most popular movie, Shanghai Express. Shanghai Express was set in a mythical China, as imagined by von Sternberg, and created with his camera. Sternberg always worked with excellent cinematographers. Uh, you know, on the list are Hal Rawson and, and Lee Garms and Burt Glennon and later on Lucian Ballard. And I think there's argument to this day as to you know who should take credit for what some cinematographers feel that sternberg was given credit for things that that really belonged to, to his cinematographers but i don't think any anyone argues that it should behave or something to put on film and she did it on purpose because she believed that he was capable of everything and anything it was her other... She never questioned his talent. Are these from you? Are you expecting them from anyone else? You embarrass me, Mr. Tom. You better go now. I have to dress. You were always polite, Doug. You haven't changed a bit. You have, Madeline. You've changed a lot. Have I lost my look? No, you're more beautiful than ever. Oh, have I changed? Yeah, no, 
wish I could describe it. Well, Doc, I've changed my name. Married? No. It took more than one man to change my name to Shanghai Lily. And that's um a moment. That's a moment. And whenever you hear that, oh, it's Dietrich. So I'm going to take these films. I'm going to watch them. Morocco, which I've seen. Dishonor, Shanghai Express, which I have seen. No, I actually have never seen it. Blonde Venus, I've seen. The Scarlet Empress, I've never seen. The Devil is a Woman. And of course, a new documentary about the partnership of von Sternberg and Dietrich. Stay tuned. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. There is something that you get from Marlena Dietrich and Joseph von Sternberg that you don't get from other directors and actors. As always, unpleasant dreams. And I will be back to talk about these films. All right. Good night.